Caleb, precious, thank you so very much. Our praise team this morning is marvelous. Appreciate it very much. I'm uh, here this morning because Michael and Melissa are in Palau. They left on Wednesday, got there on Thursday. Uh, 24 hours from Houston is, I mean, 13 hours from Houston is Tokyo, Japan, then to Guam, then to Palau. So they left Houston in the morning about mid-morning on Wednesday and arrived in Palau sometime mid-morning on Thursday uh, or so. Anyway, uh, I'm Michael's dad. That's how I'm known around here anyway, because he was here a long time before I was here. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Actually, I, you know, I taught him everything I knew about preaching. I taught him everything I knew about, about ministry. I taught him everything I knew about uh, uh, theology. He picked up on all that by the time he was about five and he went on from there. So uh, he's, he's, he's come a long ways, that's all I can say. Uh, it's wonderful, wouldn't you say? It, 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 you know, for us, it's exciting to hear stories about going home. And by the way, I, I really didn't expect, Caleb, that we were going to get into biological uh, discussion this morning because I was really talk, talk, talking about a geographical discussion. I told my wife, well, for pity's sake, I didn't know I was going to get a couple of nurses up there. But, but in any event, it's always, it's always exciting for us to recognize that we all have a home someplace. Where did we grow up? That's, that's the whole question. Uh, he got a little further back in history than I'm going to get. But, uh, but regardless of where you're from, we can all relate to this idea of a ge geographical, not biological, a geographical womb, can't you say? And uh, it, even though Keene's not your hometown, you know, I'd be willing to bet that most of the people sitting here, Keene is not your hometown. Is that true? How many, how many people sitting here that Keene is their hometown? Were you born here? Who was born here? Uh, about three of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see, Keene isn't necessarily our hometown, and, and, but, you know, we, we grew up, my wife and I grew up in the Northwest. She in Bellingham and me in the Yakima Valley, if you know where that is. But, uh, but, you know, sometimes even our home life today can be a shambles. Even if your family has been challenged by what seems to be insurmountable odds, I invite you to hang your hat today for a little while this morning. I invite you to crawl back or think back about that geographical womb and be home, and be home here among us. Because today we have no desire to place additional obligations on your shoulders. I, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to preach a sermon about additional obligations. I simply want to extend to you an opportunity to connect with God and with his people. Whether you're coming, you're coming, whether you're going, or whether you're already there, we have this very, very simple message, and it's called Welcome Home. Michael would say, there's always room for one more. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Lord, for your many, many blessings. We thank you for today. We just, we just want to be home with you. We want to we recognize you in our lives and that, that your presence in our lives and that, that somehow another we can, we can demonstrate that in our lives, that your presence is with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is an interesting chapter in that, uh, you know, it gets down toward the end of it and there's all kinds of stuff about persecution and it sounds like they were, they were even thinking about going back to Judaism. You know the reason, much of the reason for the Christian church today is because Judaism was being persecuted. That's the reason for Sunday worship and that's the reason for a lot of things that happened because, because people were being persecuted and they wanted to get out of the persecution and so they started doing different things. They, even they, in Hebrews 11, might have wanted to go back home. It doesn't really say that so much, but it, but it certainly implies it. And, and they may have decided not to stay with the Christian faith. See, life had sort of trampled them. They'd been run over, I would say, and maybe, maybe to the point of even rejecting their faith in Jesus. They were, if you read the last part of it there, they were tortured. They refused to, uh, this is... Uh, uh, 35 through 58, they were tortured. They refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some were forced or faced rather jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonments. I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about our world today and, and the things that are going on. They were put to death by stoning. They were sodden too. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and they were destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, says the book. They wandered in deserts and mountains and lived in caves and in holes in the ground and trampled, trampled, trampled they were. Our world is full of bullies today. Just think of our friends across the ocean. Just think of those who are being persecuted today. Just think of those who are being bullied today. You ever felt like you were trampled? You ever feel like someone walked on you? Feel like maybe a newspaper reporter? How about a boss? You ever find that to be true? I run into trampled people all the time. So did the writer of Hebrews. And he wrote it to encourage those trampled Christians. Hebrews 11 presents us with a kind of spiritual sort of homecoming. He went to his homecoming. He wasn't depressed, but he found courage as he looked at his history. And he gathered together some names, actually, when he was thinking about that. There are those who have passed the legacy test, you see. There are those who have passed faith on to the next generation. The children of Israel had a terrible time passing faith on to the next generation. But these are the people who did that. In the midst of all that, he stops a moment. He reflects on the lives of those heroes and heroines. Those that were faithful, he talked about Abel, and he talked about 
Enoch, and they talked about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. You, you know the names. Gideon, Moses, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. By the way, there's a good example. As Pastor Michael was talking last week about suicide, Samson was one of those people. Time and space restraints, restraints did not allow him to write about all the different ones who kept the faith. Nor can I go into all of those this morning because I, I'm restricted, they say, by time. And so we're not going to do that. In the middle of this long list of the faithful, there is this momentary pause. And we read that a moment ago in our text for today. These all died in the faith. Our writer was not depressed by looking back, nor was he anxious about the future. We look with him and see a competent group. These all died, they said. In verse 13, these all died with faith and they received, and they, without receiving the promises, they saw that in a distance. They were looking forward, the distance, and the distance welcomed them. Uh, Ellen White puts it this way in, in Nine Testimonies, page 10, we have nothing to fear as we look forward. Nothing to fear for the future, she says, lest we forget how the Lord has led us in the past or in our history. All of these heroes died with an unfulfilled dream, yet they were confident that God would keep his word. They didn't die in rebellion, but they died in faith. You see, God, God's promises for a better place was deeply engraved inside of them. They dreamed about that place. They dreamed about the time when there would be no sin. They dreamed of, of how God's uh, promises would be fulfilled in their life. Yet they didn't see that fulfilled in their lifetime. But they did die with that promise in their hearts. They died with complete confidence that God would keep his promises person of faith has confidence that God will take care of them. Even though our dreams are trampled, and even though our plans may have collapsed right in front of us, even though life is shattered, even though yet we persist in the faith, we die in the faith with a kind of quiet confidence, even though, and there's a blank there, and you can fill in the blank. Because it's your story and it's your life, your page in history that comes in the place of even though or the following even though. You see, our writer records those heroes and those witnesses and he acknowledged again in verse 13, he acknowledged, he confessed that they were strangers, they were foreigners here on this earth. Well, our members of this faith community formulated a kind of community that was in conflict with cultures that were around them. Their values, their priorities were not, and were not the values and priorities of others, that it were their contemporaries. You see, this world was not their home. They belonged to another world. They lived their lives in obedience to what was to come. 
They refuse to get themselves entangled with the temporal present. They never allowed themselves to get too comfortable with this life. They were strangers and aliens. Patriarchs and their descendants were aliens and strangers in the land. It says that in various places in the Bible, First Chronicles and Genesis and Psalms. Peter put it this way in Peter, 1 Peter uh, 2, 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. People of faith have a clear witness. We enjoy the blessings. We enjoy those blessings that we find in God's world, in God's word. We, yet we, we make a statement about the control of these things that it has over our lives. We, the people of faith, we're the ones that carry it on to this generation, to the next generation. The people of faith have a different set of priorities. We, we even speak a different language. We have eyes on the eternal. Our heroes, in the first part of Hebrews, they had a quest. <clears throat> Paul puts it this way in, in verse 14, for those who speak in such a way make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. These exiles, these strangers were seeking a home. Their hearts were set, not on this earth, but on heaven. Their citizenship was there. This was what motivated them. They wanted to go there. They wanted to be part of that. From Genesis on, the Bible is all about, and it never loses sight of, the idea of travel and a journey. So we're on a quest. We're on a quest this day. Our Bible is a gigantic travel story. I was just talking to somebody a moment ago, and Michael, you know, the, when they left Houston, it was 13 hours to Tokyo. I can't imagine flying an airplane for 13 hours. Any takers? Uh, I, I just can't imagine that. that. I can't. How boring can it be? I hope I'd probably take a pill and sleep all the way. That probably wanted. So, the, but the Bible is one gigantic travel stories, and God intervenes all along the way, and and we wonder why we feel trampled. But don't forget that we're not home yet. We're on our way, but we're not home yet. In fact, He says, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left. They, they would have had opportunity to return, but no, they weren't thinking of the land that there's left. Verse 16, he says, but it, but it is, they aspire to a better land. They aspire to a heavenly land. They didn't just merely expect, expect heaven, they evaluated the things of the earth, and they looked at the things they could see, and they quickly discerned that there was only transience, impermanence, and perishability here. They gave their lives to these things that was to misplace their time and ability. Our heroes really never look back. Paul says it, he said, forgetting those things that are behind. Looking forward to those things. And, and so our heroes were secure. They see, we see them as secure. 
In verse 16, therefore, he says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city, and he's looking his city for them, strangers and aliens. As strangers and aliens, we often experience hardships. I, you know, I just think about our history that's being written right now in our world. We don't know anything about hardships. We don't. I mean, we can see it on TV, but we really don't know anything about hardships. Do we? I mean, can you imagine what's going on over across the pond and Ukraine and those places? Social ostracism, the economic deprivation. But you see, God made a promise. No matter how bad things get, he will always be proud of us. He will always be proud of his people in Ukraine. God gladly supported our forebears and he will be with us. God promised them and he promises us a city with all the amenities and all the conveniences and all that, all that implies. He promises us a city. People of faith have the ability to distinguish between the temporal and the eternal. People of faith stand to inherit, inherit God's blessing. We stand to inherit his provision in that there is security. The vision of these great heroes of faith always challenge us. They confront us. They even rebuke us. But yet they inspire us. See, God was their only hope. God was the only hope of a fellow whose name was Job. If I die, he says, I die believing. I die believing in God and obeying God, says Job. This is our commitment and our confidence today. Secondly, they confront our cowardice. You know, there's, we make bold confessions sometimes. But they were alienated and they were ostracized for their viewpoints. They were alienated and ostracized because of the value system they had. Many were trampled by life, and yet they remain faithful. Third, they rebuked our materialism. You see, our faith heroes challenged the assumption that this world is our home. They challenged the lifestyle that stems from that kind of thinking. And finally, they inspire us. They inspire us to obedience. My prayer today is that God will help me to live a life, to live my life for the things that really matter. Seriously, really, really matter. I want to think, I want us to think of the day when we'll be wrapped in the arms of Jesus. I want us to think about the time that we can we can think about and dare to imagine that moment. What will it be like? 
What will it be like when we finally see Jesus? Beyond my comprehension. Sometimes if people say, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do... No, no, no. I, I have no idea. You, you, know, you know the Jesus I'm talking about, the one that, we, that we've served and the one that we've trusted and the one that we've longed for? I really, really don't know what that day is going to be like. But there's something that I do know. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and hope has a name. And his name is Jesus.